Welcome to episode 242 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and the awesome Jason Roberts, who's sitting to my right over here, um, coming to you from uh, Pasadena, and uh, obviously it's a very beautiful day, 100 degrees outside today. Woo. I don't know if I'd call 100 beautiful. This is my least it's favorite time It's a bit too hot? Oh, really? That's interesting. Well, I, I, I love sunny weather, but I don't, once it gets north of, say, below 90s, it's, uh, it's a bit much, you know? Right. I mean, if I could disappear for two months of the year, it would be August and September. Just Where would you go? North? Chicago? No, Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere other than here. I mean, we were just down in uh, San Diego this weekend for a, uh, a wedding. It was actually yeah. an Uber wedding. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Um, uh, my buddy Curtis. Curtis. Who, um, he's the VP of engineering at Uber, and he and I were, were I guess, number six and seven or yeah. seven and eight at Uber together. And um, so he was gonna, he, he got married at this resort called Paradise Point, which is down in Mission Bay. Right. Right on the beach. It's like a whole, you know, giant area. It's not just like a hotel. It's a whole part of the, uh, I don't know, peninsula there. And uh, oh, the weather. Wow. Good. Well, yeah, I mean, it was humid, but it was like, it was nice humid, Is right? it because they have like, uh, because it's uh, so close to the sea and you have like cool breeze blowing over you, but you've also got the heat? Well, so. I'm not a meteorologist, but <laughs> I, I can tell you it was it was uh, it was nice to get, to be able to escape from the weather for a few days. I and mean, we left the kids here with a babysitter for a few days. Yeah, and uh, we just uh, it was it was funny. It was like trying to remember what life was like before having kids. It was just weird. Like we didn't have anything to worry about, but but the two of us. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's, it was like wow, this is really easy. Like this is this is a lightweight living, you know. Well, um, it turns out we do have some female listeners. Yeah, it's I don't know if, I'm not going to say the surnames, but I'm just going to say Emily and Katie do actually listen to the show, which I was like, are you serious? I was just amazed. Like, but I, I mean, not, not that, that that then, that then makes them sound like freaks, which obviously they're not, but uh, I was just surprised. Yeah, no, I was surprised too. I, I, I can't remember what, I, what my uh, guess was. I think I guess that we wouldn't have any. Yeah. So at least two. At least, the at least two. Yeah. Who either a decided they weren't going to email or just didn't get around to it or haven't listened to the show yet. Yeah. Well, does it? Does no. that change the way that you're gonna get, like be on the show or? No. No. Well, as you know, I don't really care what people think of me so much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, take it or leave it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, no, it was really nice. Sent they were they were very nice emails, and it was uh, it was fun hearing from them. And yeah, and uh, I, I think it was Emily who said that she one of the reasons she listened to the show was that she's learning about tech and she's working on uh, she's a WordPress developer or something, yeah. and that she was sort of learning the lingo from us. You know, just. I guess the the terms and the technologies or whatever, and that was kind of cool that it, it, that our show actually was useful in that way. Yeah, I, in fact, I remember that was one of the reasons I used to like listening to Twit when I first listened to it because I really wanted to kind of get into startup culture. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, I, I was in startup culture, but it wasn't called startups. It was just, you know, building businesses or whatever. Like I wasn't aware of the whole Silicon Valley scene and all that kind of thing. So when I first started listening to Twit, it was just great listening to it and, you know, hearing Kevin Rose and um, hearing those people talking about that stuff and throwing around the terms and get, just getting into the space so I can understand that thinking. Well, I, th- I think we, we ha- I think the majority of our listeners are outside the sort of Silicon Valley startup nexus. Yeah. And I think one of the motivations is just that they're, they're, they're sort of isolated in a way. Yeah. Right. They're, whether it's technology or startups <laughs> or any of the stuff that's related to it, they're, they don't have too many people to talk to about it, right? They might have like one friend or something to talk to. So, you know, it's kind of nice to be able to sit back and listen to other people. Especially listen to issues. people be enthusiastic about it as well. Because cause, cause something I've found is if I try and talk to my friends or family, you know, it won't be long before they'll start yawning. So you're talking at them. <laughs> you're not really talking with them. You're talking at them and they're you well, and you, nodding, just, going, uh-huh. Okay. No, but I don't know. Even just the discussion about it. Like every every time we have this discussion, uh, with, we have this discussion with Georgie's father, Marty. He's always like, what does Pluggio do again? <laughs> like he doesn't. It just doesn't get it. Like so, it's so out of his sphere. He's like, "What's social media? What? What? Twitter? Like, what's the point of Twitter? How does it make money? What people pay you? What? Yeah, it's just like yeah. My mom could never remember what I did for a living. Yeah, she's like, "Well, I, I was talking to so and so, and I was trying to describe what you do." And I was like, I, it doesn't matter, mom, just whatever you want to say, <laughs> you know, she can, she get, I mean, it's like, we don't have a really good mental model. It's hard for them to talk about it. Yeah. Right. Cause then they're just repeating words, but since the words don't have any meaning for them, it's hard to describe it when they haven't memorized the words. I guess they just know through, through the news of like, I don't know, Facebook is 70 billion or whatever. That's those stories are there. The entrepreneur stories, right? So they know that tech is a thing. It's it's important. Jason's in tech, you know. Right. I mean, I, I guess a, a lot of them think that I like repair computers or something. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a computer repairman or something. Like yeah. that's I, I think that's a lot of uh, developers get right. Like oh, you sort of like you hook up the computers, like you network them. It's interesting. Yeah. Like there's such a big difference between like you know architecting a car and architecting an engine and building the engine than. Kind of repairing the carburetor it. Yeah, yeah. I usually would try and say that. I'd say, okay, so imagine the guys who are designing the car, right? As if that's what I do, except for software, right? Yeah. I build, I, I conceptualize and build it. As if there are people who repair software in a way, I guess. Not so much. I mean, people who like sysadmins or something or whatever but i that that was anyway that was the analogy i'd use and that usually made some kind of sense to them i mean there's a whole other translate you know the translation of translating software you know how that works like basically you remember like res edit on the mac or some you know like the kind of resource editor that goes into an existing application uh, right and basically changes the strings mm-hmm. like that's a whole other branch of software engineering that's not exactly creating it's like tweaking, tweaking existing software modding so you yeah. you look like you're anxious with some links there. I mean, I've got no, I've got stuff to go into. I got a I got a big list. Go ahead. What do you got? We want to talk about. I don't know if we're going to get to any links because we've got a lot to talk about. Um, so first of all, uh, Plugio. You want an okay. update on the yeah, Plugio sale? The Plugio update. I feel like the Plugio update. It's like the the biggest loser show. You know, it's like <laughs> no, get the latest update, right? Well, it may I may be the biggest loser because I may have just lost eighty five thousand dollars. How'd that happen? Well, the second sale fell through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so everything basically continued 
on to the point of where it was like two days where he was supposed to have legally purchased it. He'd signed all the agreements. And then he came back and said, look, I've committed to another deal. I can't actually get the money for this. It's going to take me another three months. If you want to come back to me in three months, I'll have the money for this. Okay. So I was like, no. And I was kind of a little bit irritated, especially by the process. And so I said, so I, I went away and thought about it for a bit. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try and do some, well, there's a couple of reasons for this, but I'm going to, I've got some experiments that I want to do, marketing experiments. Okay. And um, so I then went back to the broker and said, look, two deals have fallen through. Um, you know, I've got a bit of a bad taste in my mouth about this, but also I just don't want to sell it right now. I'll come back to you when I do. So that's where it's at. Um, I, he, and the broker, to give him his credit, he said, well, I've got another buyer lined up for you. But I, I still didn't want to do it at that stage because I want to run these uh, marketing tests. Why do you want to run the marketing tests? Well, I could sell it for more. If I, if okay, I, if, so you feel like you could goose the revenue, yeah. get it up. What does goose the revenue mean? I mean that that Twe- sounds bad. Goose something is goose something is you kind of spur it. You spark it. Okay. Right? You knock it it's up. not so, like illegally. So it's making, no, no. Yeah. So if you're making like 3500 you goose the revenue up to maybe 4500 or something. Like you yeah. it's it's like like a, a quick improvement. There's no yeah. it's nothing. It's not another you just it's just a phrase to get something going. Okay. So that's one reason is because I want to just See if I see two things. Drip. I've got drip plugged into Plugio now, so I want to see what that can do. And drip is Rob Walling. Yeah, Rob Walling, which which software. manages uh, and facilitates drip marketing campaigns. Yeah. So that's there. And secondly, I've kind of had an idea, a good idea on how to market Plugio. And my friend Sarah, um, also, she needs work right now. Okay. <laughs> so I want to keep. I want to keep her in work. She's been working for us on Anyfu. Okay. Um. Which is something else that I want to talk to you about. Anyfu. Okay. All right. So, so you want to so you so you, you have some tests you want to run. She's available to work with you on running these experiments. Yeah, she. she so you're yeah. going to give that a run for what? A couple months or? I think maybe four months, four to six months. Really? Yeah, because I I have a general marketing strategy that basically just involves because at the moment Plugio is marketed as like a, a, just a general Twitter tool. But actually, people use it for specific things. Like, for example, a few people use it for content curation specifically. Okay. So, because it's just really good at that. So, I think I'm going to get her to reach out to blogs about different niche subjects and set up different niche landing pages. And so, she reaches out to someone who talks about social media content curation and has a good blog post about that. By the way, you know, she sends an email. By the way, did you know that Plugio is good for this? And then sends them a link to the landing page that specifically explains why Plugio is good for that. Got it, and right. that's that's basically the marketing strategy. So, what you said you get, you said you lost eighty five thousand uh, because the sale didn't happen. Oh, okay. well, yeah. you didn't lose it. It no. was yours <laughs> to lose. It never was there. So, okay, I thought you screwed something up, or you know, there was some escape clause in your in your deal with a broker that if you didn't do X, Y, and Z, then you know you lost ownership of it or something. So, are you ready for a heavy any food discussion? Sure. Um, for new listeners who don't know, and I think there probably are some, um, Anyfu is a, a startup that myself and Jason, well, a project, I guess is a better way of putting it, have been working on for a couple of years now. And uh, basically experts can have screen sharing sessions, uh, anyfu.com. And um, is that the best way to describe it? So if, if you're looking for an expert to do work for you, you go to anyfu.com and you can hire someone who's an expert in Rails and they'll have a screen sharing session with you and help you out. 
Right. So usually like an hour long session. It can be yeah. anything, Redis, Rails, whatever, any type of machine learning type of subject. So and these are world class experts. These are the people who are who literally authored the book on the subject. Yeah. So we had um, we've been building it. We started off building it together, and then we had a bit of a falling out because. Oh, crap. Because Jason, oh, and then we had a bit of a falling out on the project because Jason uh, was doing more work than I was doing. So we had that reckoning, and there's a, there's a great episode about that uh, where we actually just spoke, discussed it on the show. And so then what I did was I hired Sarah for six months. Um, well, the agreement was the, the basic understanding was is to get even on any foo. Yeah, I think it was yeah. the title of the show. Um, was that you would get a hundred experts signed up? Okay. Well, that- and and uh, and I was like, I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you do it yourself. You hire someone. Your mom does it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You know. Then that will even out the workload, and it will also get us to probably critical mass. We'll have enough experts that we will be seen as a serious place. We'll we'll have enough coverage of technologies. Um, the experts themselves will hopefully have enough um, sort of influence. Uh, marketing influence themselves that'll drive traffic that sort of thing so that was the that was sort of the agreement yeah so it was it was pretty hard to get the experts signed up um we i we didn't get a hundred um, you didn't talk to me about them. Why, why was it hard i mean you did sarah what did sarah say about it um, you get about she got about 20 20 or yeah, so yeah 20 so i guess it's just the pr- the process of like contacting them them answering back, convincing them to do it, just just the whole thing. And I mean, I, I don't really have a good answer, but uh, the only answer I have is I've sunk 7,000 into it so far for 20 experts and I don't want to go further, go any more on it. Okay. And so I think we're even, um, not because we're not even because we didn't get 100 experts, but we're even because it's a large capital investment. Well, I mean, <laughs> the agreement was 100. You could have done it yourself. It might not have cost you anything. Right. right. Or maybe, maybe she just wasn't efficient at doing it. Yeah. But regardless, you don't want to put more money into it, which... No, and I don't, I don't have time to put time. into it either. You yeah. don't want to put time into it, and you don't want to put money into it. So that... Exactly. Okay. I think 100 experts may have been a bit... A little bit rich. Okay. <laughs> as, as a, I mean, because, you know, it, it's, it's taken time as well to kind of work with her and manage, with, you know, and get stuff. But anyway, the long and the short of it is, is what are we going to do? I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I think that, um, I think that any at this point is mostly a, uh, marketing problem. Okay. It's mostly a, growth hacking problem, whatever you yeah. want to say. Um, and uh, you or I are not marketers, growth hackers, right? No. Um, I have a lot of ideas on how to do it. I have a pretty good understanding how it works, but that's not something I want to spend my time doing. And that's why when you presented me with the idea of working together on this in the very start, I, always was, I was skeptical because I thought neither of us wants to really spend a lot of time doing the marketing business side. Mm-hmm. And the business side is usually limited. That's more like, you know, the accounting and setting up accounts with the bank and things like that. Most of it is just marketing customer service, whether it's customer service with the experts or clients, relationship management. 
And, you know, that's for this kind of a business where like, that's the kind of relationship or that's the kind of partnership you want. One person who's just itching to get out there and start shaking the trees. That's what they want to do. Sell and talk and broadcast and do PR, whatever. And then there's somebody who just can build the stuff. But you and I, between the two of us, there's about 5% desire to do that. <laughs> right? So, right. and that's not going to work. I, I, and I was, very, I was very skeptical of work, but I thought the idea was a good idea. And I thought, um, and I agreed with you that it'd be fun to work on something. But it's to be just proven to me that like that's the wrong kind of a partnership to deal with. Now, if any of it was a different kind of company where we were building a technology that was going to be somehow we were going to have like partnerships with a couple companies and we really had no marketing, we, it was just like we we had our channels. All we had to do was build the right thing and we'd yeah. be good. Um, then maybe we could pull something off like that. But any from my perspective, something that technical like an API or something like that, we could have potentially done. But this this is too well, it's too people focused, too relationship focused. I mean, I think most startups are like that. I think there are a minority of startups that are that you might just have to know two or three people at the who have the right position at the right companies, and if you can get the technology in, you create some kind of strategic partnership, and you're kind of done, right? Or yeah. at least that gives you escape velocity. So it's like, well, these two or three clients are going to get us a half million dollars a year in revenue right there. And based on that, we can hire marketing people and expand our salespeople. We didn't have that. Ours is like, ours was going to, was going to require a really concerted guerrilla marketing effort. Yeah. And it just didn't have it. And then after, after I kind of lost momentum on it, when I started getting frustrated, I, you know, I, I really can't describe it. So, uh, you know, and, and I know what might come across in the show. I mean, people may not understand it, but, you know, once I lost momentum and I had a bad taste in my mouth, it really, it really got me. It really just took all the excitement. Like I just, I couldn't get excited about it again. And I don't, I don't, I don't know why, but I just, I just lost it. I mean, I just lost faith. Right. Um, even though the people who used it, the, the clients and the experts, uh, aside from the small quibbles of like, oh, you know, maybe an extra email reminder here or something like over there would have been would be nice. The core value to them was high. They were really enthusiastic about it, which was great. But I, the two things that I was uh, skeptical about, or one was, you know, the difficulty in getting the experts right and and getting that sort of being able, having the that we would have the resources or energy or whatever it would take to get to that point. But the thing was just how big the market really was. Yeah, how big the market was. Yeah, I agree with that. I just felt like, I felt like, yeah, we could probably make any food work, but I feel like it would be a much bigger effort than a lot of other. Well, I just think that you could, you could make any food work, but it's just, it requires a hustler, like, like what you were saying. It requires someone hustling. Yeah. So I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it wouldn't, it, 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 there wouldn't be potential solid business there yeah. i was just that on top of my my loss of momentum the doubts right. about that but then again you always have those doubts about a startup when it starts Every to sell business, out yeah so um you know the only thing i would say is if we if within the next two three months some magical thing doesn't happen which um you know is, is doubtful at this point then we you know i would say we should close down the llc at the end of the year because there's no point in paying yeah yeah agreed. you know 
two or three thousand two or three thousand dollars a year on the LLC fees and the accounting and, and everything else like that. But the one thing I would say, the only thing is if we brought in a uh, a partner, if some if one of our listeners is that kind of a growth hacker, you know, like a, I'm you so know, glad that you straight up hustler. I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I wanted to suggest to you was for for any listener who's who's been struggling to find an idea but who is business oriented growth hacker hustler i think it will be definitely worth talking about because that, that this whole idea of needing to have 50% ownership i am like so far away from that right now well it's like so, it's having having 50% of nothing exactly nothing, it's, you know it's completely so it's like, irrelevant. I, I mean i would be very uh generous with a partnership offer agree. if someone came in and they were the right person they're like look guys you know I can dig, if you guys can just do a few improvements here and there and the things that I need, I will run with this thing and I'll blow it up and whatever. I mean, hey, you know, I'd, I'd much rather have, I'd much rather give someone like that a big solid chunk and let them run with it. Cool. Well, that, I think that's, uh, that would be a great outcome. So if you're that person or you have, you know, somebody who'd be that person, you know, talk to them about it because it, I mean, I, I know it's, it's, it's a shame. It would be a shame to let it die if there is an opportunity there. Um, there is definitely an opportunity there. And you, you want to know why? Because the people who used it were so excited about it and really got a lot of value out of it. Yeah. I mean, and we, of course, we got a we got a big jump and we got like whatever it is, 30 or whatever. Yeah, it's like 40 experts on it. No, I don't think of 40. It's like 30. 30. Yeah. But, um, but they're, you know, world-class experts. So, yeah. Well, anyway, I think that's enough with any food. But, hey, one of the things I will say about it, though, is it would be nice to have something happen to it because Sandy keeps asking me about it. <laughs> she's like why don't you just do this with any food why don't you do that and, yeah. and uh you know i don't really have a great answer for her. and uh i think it's a great brand i think it's a great name i think it's great you know it's got cons- a great logo that's a great logo a great <laughs> i think it has a lot going for it yeah for something uh, into where it is i, I mean I, yeah it just it just needs that uh needs that extra love it needs that that growth hacking to use an overused term yeah so anyway, okay, so next, what do, you want, what do you want to talk about? Well, I was expecting that to last for longer. Um, so we're, uh, we're only 20 minutes in and we got through those two, so... <laughs> Why did you expect that to last longer? I don't know. I just you're thought always, that would be more to go on. But. You're always jumping, uh, you always, you like jump topics so quickly anyway, right? You normally, you don't like a topic to last more like five or... I just try and drive the drive, you know, that just drives the show and keeps it more interesting. That's why I right, do that. So you're expecting this would be like a 20 minute... I thought this would be a longer one, yeah. Long and well, cause long. I, no, because I, I, I was expecting to say, and I've got an idea. The idea is that we ask the texting listeners and I was expecting you to say no and then I would need to spend the next 15 minutes like trying to sell it to you. But I'm surprised you you had the, you know you were. Oh, no, I was thinking. I had already great. been thinking the same thing. Great. So, yeah. So um, speaking of uh, other ongoing uh, projects, Colby keeps asking me about Catalyst. Uh oh. So, you know, Catalyst ran. We did 35 sessions last year, and we did, it was Tuesday nights from six to seven thirty. Started around late september i think it was yeah and uh, went through may um and then over the summer two or three of uh the kids who were in cattles who were good friends with colby who were really wanting to do something um i had them come over on, fr- on fridays and we would you know spend i mean it was more like play time you know so you did that for a like month was it nerd play date yeah slash catalyst i mean they would play minecraft and do some mind storms a new kerbal space program and then we'd you know order pizza and go on the 
pool. And um, Liam's dad, he's the one, he's an astrophysicist over at the Carnegie Institute. And he and I would basically spend the time just, you know, talking while the kids did their thing. But they were right. having, they were having such a blast. How did that time. compare to the classroom experience? Well, I mean, it was just easy, right? I mean, three kids around our, our, uh, our dining room table, which now is pretty much just a computer lab. You know? <laughs> so they're all, they're all, they're, you know, plant, doing whichever one of the Kerbal or, or Minecraft. And, and he and I are just kind of sitting there talking and they'd be like, sometimes they'd be like, Hey guys, why don't you try and do this? Or why don't you try and do that? Or sometimes so it's way be, less guided. It's way less guided. It's just like, let them tinker at what they really want to do. I was just burn out. I was just like, whatever, you know, if you guys want to play with Mindstorm for a while, we do Mindstorm sometimes. I mean, it wasn't, I wouldn't say they learned a ton or anything like that. It was more like three really bright kids really into this stuff can kind of do what they want for an hour and a half. But is that, hours. is that what Colby wants or does he want the classroom experience? He, you know, funny thing he keeps asking me, he's like, he wants to do both. Huh. He keeps, he's, he keeps asking me over and over again. He's like, dad, okay, so let's do, let's start Tuesday catalyst again. I want to start a program. Okay. Can we do Tuesday? But maybe we do Friday again, but I want to do Tuesday. You know, he just, I'm like, all right, Colby, let's, let, huh. me see, let's, let me wait and see. I was like, first of all, it's a hundred degrees out. And yeah. and the classroom does not. There's no have AC. No that kind of AC, and I, you know, we 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 have to wait at least until October. Otherwise, it's just going to be brutal. I mean, because remember when we started, we were in that other room that had a lot of AC. Because of that, and even that was still hot. Yeah. Um. So, but I'm I'm just still trying to decide if I want to do it, and if I do, how I want to do it, just because it, it ate up a lot of my time last year. Um. I mean, Sandy was advising. She her suggestion is just don't build all your own tool tools and website try and use more off-the-shelf stuff because yeah. that was she's like you know you're just taking way too much on and it just took too much effort and if the only commitment we make is to turn up lay out the tables try and teach some programming and find some good websites that people can use that would be a lot easier well for you for you i mean for me it wasn't that bad yeah well, because it was just turning that's up what you did yeah i just yeah, exactly you only did it about half the time <laughs> <laughs> Not half the time. I just missed like four. Okay. Come on. Did I miss no, one? No, no, you did not. Come on, break. All, right. All right. But when you were there, you generally put a good effort in. And I appreciate Thanks. that because you didn't have to show up to any. Right. Okay. Right? <laughs> it was all, uh, you know, volunteer effort on your part. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, coming up with a curriculum is not easy. I mean, it takes time to think of, think about what we're going to do and, how it's going to work and what are the exercises. Cause if you don't come up with enough things, all of a sudden you run out of stuff and the kids will get bored and frustrated and they start acting crazy and it just turns into bedlam. I would quite like to use Digidoo. But that's just reading and question, answer questions. Well, you've got, you can do videos and you can put any content on you, you want. We could do, you know, drive lessons anywhere you want. We could pre-plan it. We could have, you know, it'd be pretty easy to build a curriculum. That's the whole, that's what the software does. It makes it easy to build curriculum. And we have, I've got 20 tablets and a local server. Yeah, yeah that's a possibility. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm all for anything that's going to um, reduce the, uh, the amount of effort that it takes because... I mean, I don't mind putting in some effort, but it felt like a whole nother side project. It was. It was a whole nother side project that was actually much bigger than I expected it to be. It was actually bigger than all my other projects. <laughs> and because if you have some project on the web or a mobile app and, you know, you, you want to get stuff done by the end of the week or whatever and it doesn't get done, you know, you might get an email or two by some people from users. But when you have to show up to a classroom of kids and their parents and stuff is not ready or working... It is incredibly stressful. Do you remember how stressful it was, right? 
Tell me about it. I've got a thousand kids using my software right now, and it's it's uh, obviously not fully stable yet, and it's it's very frustrating when when that doesn't work. Yeah, when you, but you yeah. know when it is when you show up there in front yeah. of them. Oh, I know. You know, I, know. I mean, so I want to very avoid stressful. that, and but but especially bad because you've got the parents there as well. That's the worst because having parents and kids in the same room, wow. Well, the parents the parents are generally pretty relaxed about it. They're like, hey, whatever. I mean. Because they understand that this is this is really the only option to do this kind of stuff, right? It's not like it's like um, gymnastics or something. So if they don't like this gymnastics class, there's like three other gymnastics, uh, you know, studios in the general area that they can say, "Well, we're not going to do. We're going to go somewhere else." If if their kid is like into robots and programming and electronics or whatever and wants to be there, the parents are just kind of like, "I don't understand any of this stuff anyway, so whatever." But don't you think parent plus kid? exponentially amplifies the feel bad quotient of if they're just sitting around for 20 minutes doing nothing because the, the server's not working or whatever i don't think it's exponential <laughs> i mean i you know but there's a little more pressure on it but the, you know, <laughs> the the kids are the ones that just keep going what's wrong and this and that the kids just get crazy right because they get frustrated and bored and yeah they don't understand what's going on and then i would like to do it again i, I really enjoyed it a yeah. little um kids like riley and like you know bugging us and trying to hack the system and that was fun. I just think, yeah, so I might have to. I mean, Colby is just dying to do it. I'm surprised because, like, in, in the, the class, he, he never really seemed like, you know, oh, I'm really super excited about this. Like, he, he, he was kind of, he, the, I mean, he enjoyed it, but a lot of the, it was about the, the social interaction. Yeah, Colby's pretty social, and I think, you remember, he's also one of the youngest kids there. Those yeah, kids yeah. were a year, two, three years older. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, even the kids, even the kids like Liam, I mean, not only is Liam two years older, but these are also kids two years who are gifted and talented. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, so these, these, these are very, so you say, well, kids, Kobe's a bright kid. Well, these other kids are just as bright and two years, two years older. Yeah. And that's a big difference. It's a big difference between eight year old and a 10 year old. Or, or well, so, sometimes we had 11 and 12 year olds. So he's going to be a year older now. So that's going to make it e- even easier for him. Yeah. And he has a background in it. And what I actually told him, I said, look, Colby, um, before I agree to do it again, like you and I are going to have to sit down and, and do a little stuff our own. I have to make sure you're serious about it. Cause I mean, this is a big <laughs> time commitment on me. Yeah. You know, if you just want to go and, and screw around, I mean, I mean, maybe we do something every once in a while, but I'm not going to do it every week. You know, I mean, I'm not showing up put all this effort in so that you can show up and ask to play Minecraft. Yeah. You know, I yeah, mean, that's exactly. just not, that's just not, uh, you know, going to work for me. <laughs> you know, you can just play Minecraft at home, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, there's, there are ways to have tech play dates without it eating up eight hours of my week. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I told him. He's like, okay, so we'll see. I, I'm going to see. So it's just the beginning of September. I think we got four to six weeks before it cools off enough. Um, so maybe I'll take the next couple weeks, see if Colby wants to do some stuff. We'll play around, see if he's committed to it. And if he does, maybe you and I can sit down and talk about our curriculum tools, options. What can we do? We can piece together something that's not going, that's going to be relatively stable. That's not going to take a ton of our effort. And then we can just use. Yeah. We can I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there was a part of me that, especially this summer when I was feeling really burnt out about it, was very sad at the thought of not doing it anymore but there's a part of me didn't want to do it anymore because it's so exhausting and stressful but i mean but, the programming environment that you had was pretty good yeah it worked pretty nicely when it worked i mean so could could we do a combination of curriculum somewhere else and then programming 
on your environment. Yeah, maybe we do a sit down and kind of do a review. See yeah. what we need to do. I mean, I I mean, you just need to maybe because I haven't seen a programming environment as good as that for kids. Well, thanks, thanks. Um, in the other stuff. Yeah, it's it's just so frustrating when you see something could be awesome if you could put more time into it. Right. You to like, but you know, I'm being pulled. I'm being pulled in five different directions. I mean, that's part of my you know, ca- own character eventually... flaw. It's part of like my own character flaw and the fact that there's just so much going on. I know what we could use. JS Fiddle, something like that. Yeah, I mean, we could. We don't I, have to have prompts and things, do we? I don't know. I, 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 I think we gotta. There's the things that there, there are pro- ongoing projects that are helpful. Yeah. And, but and the the things that are really good are like challenges or something that has them um, reinforcing what they know. Because yeah. the big problem that we had, remember, was that they would learn stuff and then. They would forget it by the following week. And a lot of times kids would miss a week. So it was two weeks since they saw it, you know, and they would just forget it. And you'd yeah. be like, well, you and I got so, I thought you and I got very good at explaining programming concepts in very succinct ways that the kids got, <laughs> right? I yeah, because we've we, done it 20 times. Yeah, we would kind of A-B tested it. Yeah. Like, this is how, how do you explain a loop? How do you explain a conditional? How do you explain a variable? How do you explain a function? How do you, you know, we got pretty good at it. Like, all right, come here. I can explain this to you really fast. And whereas the, at the beginning of the, of the program, you know, we went through very, very roundabout, circuitous uh, ways of describing what functions were and things. At the end, we're like, look, just come here. This is all it is. And yeah. they're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> so we got that down, but that was less the problem than what's, what's if else again? You know what? And you're just like, yeah. come on, dude. Like, we went through this. You know this. Yeah. You did three challenges on it. So there has to be a way of doing that sort of, um, that reinforcement and then I built some tools for that. So otherwise they just forget it. Cause it's like, and the analogy I always use, it's like teaching algebra to eight or 10 year olds and then with no homework once a week. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're just not going to remember. They just, you know, they forget it. Anyway. So that's catalyst. And, um, I, yeah, I, I'm totally up for it. That sounds sort of awesome. surprised. I thought you'd be sort of, uh, I thought you felt, I, I got the impression that you felt a little, uh, guilted into it. And that you were probably, and it was like one no. one thing on your list that you would not mind at all being removed from your list. No, I was very ha- very happy to do Catalyst. The problem is, is that um, I had a, I had scheduling issues, so I just kept on like forgetting it or putting it. But it wasn't that I didn't want to do it; I just wasn't scheduling it very well. Yeah, I, I, I didn't actually. I wasn't using a calendar at that point. Yeah, so I mean. Not that I had a problem with it, right? Because it's like, it was my idea to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was obviously very appreciative of your help, but I, I was just like, yeah, he probably doesn't really want to do this. He's going to be happy if I just say, hey, guess what? No more I catalyst. think you think that you, you have a habit of thinking the worst of things sometimes. No, no. I thought yeah. I just, I just think that sometimes people say that they're interested and are willing to do something. And then it's not till they get into it, they go, oh, like, I didn't realize I was signing up for this. Right. <laughs> like, you know, which is fair. And then, but the other thing is that you just got to be fair to them and let people out. People deserve, people need to be able to have a face-saving way of saying, I want to not stop doing this and not feel terrible about myself. I like, I mean, it's a good line to say to people, you know, I'm helping teach eight-year-old kids how to program every Tuesday night. It so does. It, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it has love, a feel-good question. <laughs> that's true. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's definitely it's a, it's a, it's a good fun topic of conversation. It, it's but the other thing is, I, like, if I wasn't doing it, it wouldn't really be an interesting topic for the show, or it, w- it wouldn't be half as interesting as it is because we can talk about it, right? We're going through a shared yeah, well, experience. You're, you're, you're 
you're out in the jungle fighting with me and you're just right, exactly. really it's stuck. a shared experience really rather works. than just you telling me what's going on yeah okay we'll we'll um we'll uh you know i i think in the next couple of weeks we'll sort out what's gonna happen all right one way or the other but one thing i want to talk about while well, just on the colby subject just one related thing was um so i was reading ender's game the colby yeah oh yeah okay remember yeah. i told you about that yeah yeah and we got about 70 or 80 pages in and I, I can't remember. We just stopped reading it because there just things kept coming up, you know. Or he had reading he had to do, or whatever it was, and but he picked it up on his own and started over from the beginning as reading. A, you know, because they get points. It's a program called Accelerated Reader where they get points based on how uh, difficult a book is and how long yeah. it is. And um, and so they read the book and they go in and they answer ten a ten question quiz, right? And they get depending on how well they do, they get points, right? And um, so Colby picked up Ender's Game, which is, you know, that's, that's not a kid book, really. I mean, it's it's not it's not James Joyce, but it's 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 not uh, you know Winnie the Pooh, right? I yeah, mean, it's it's a it's a adult level book. And so is that the first book he's picked up of, of his own volition? Yes, and it's also the, the you know the first book that was a full length. I guess in English you say a proper book. Wow, you know, a lot of books are well, they're smaller. They're like. They're they're a little thinner. They might be eighty pages or maybe hundred pages, but it's kind of larger print a little bit, and you know. But this is like, you know, that's this cool, is legit. And uh, he, I, part of me was a little sad because I wanted to read the rest of it to him. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I, I kind of liked when he would, you know, we'd we go and lie down the bed. He'd lie down next to me, put his head on my shoulder, and I'd read it to him. Yeah, yeah, like that. But then he's reading on his own. And I'm like, well, I guess I can't huh. do that anymore. But it's exciting that he's reading it, and that he's actually reading something that that sophisticated yeah. on his own. You probably could read to him. I mean, I, I like. I mean, I like people reading to me, and I'm, you know, forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I probably will. I, I, you know, now that I say that, I probably will. But it was just uh, kind of, uh, kind of funny. Although Sa- Sandy bought him a book, it was uh, some steampunk kind of science fiction. Yeah, and he read it, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not so much. I like more." futuristic sci-fi like wow. he's not so into that subgenre. like he's already has opinions of like <laughs> subgenre of science fiction <laughs> that's awesome. that was kind of funny i like so you like the space opera style or the <laughs> you know whatever so he's um he's reading that so which is good because i think um ender's game the movie's coming out yeah later this fall right um i'm looking forward to that that's going to be... I love... I mean, Ender's Game is one of my favorite favorite books. Well, that's what I was talking about. Uh, t- I was talking to some friends of mine like this. It's like, it's fun that he's reading it, but like you ask most adults, I'm like, yeah, I love Ender's Game. Like, yeah. that is my favorite science fiction yeah. book. It's definitely in my top 10. You know, I think uh, Asimov's Foundation and Frederick Pohl's Starburst, and there's some other really good ones, but yeah. Have you read the whole Foundation series? Yeah, I read all of them. You? Yeah, yeah. Loved it. With Harry Seldon, the mathematician, and was it uh, Psycho History? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I remember when I was reading it, I was like, I wish that that exists, that those kind of places existed. Like they talk about the different types. What is it that the foundation and the, the kind of library areas. And then they're on these crazy ships that also have like huge buildings in them. And I wish yeah. that, I wish that we could be alive on spaceships. You may, <laughs> you may make it. Well, with the Carter Kurzweil, if you could just live to like whatever is a twenty forty that they yeah. sort of stop aging long enough to figure out how to reverse it. Like I can't remember what, the, what number. Do you think has. that that's going to? Um, I mean, do you think that by twenty forty that uh, like or what's his name, Aubrey de Grey? Aubrey de Grey, yeah. Do you think that his foundation and other foundations like that will have a handle on the kind of the anti aging concepts? 
Uh, you know, I haven't read a whole lot about it, yeah. so um, I, I really can't say anything intelligent about what Aubrey de Grey is 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 offering or researching or whatever. Um, but I think the human body is just a very complex biological machine, and there's always a way. There's always a way to hack a machine, uh, and I think the human body will be hacked at some point. Whether that's 20 years from now or 2,000 years from now, there will be a way of completely hacking it to, you know, reverse age or cease aging or whatever. So, yeah, you know, and uh, aside from all of the other, you know, I know people can only have spiritual arguments are like, well, should we? And, is, and you know, do you want to live forever and stuff? I think you know, it's apart from all of this, that kind of discussion, which I frankly find kind of boring. Uh, I think ultimately, yes, it will be. I think it's, it's just a, it's a finite uh, uh, system. That's. I was watching his TED talk, and um, the thing that like the largest issue with us uh, aging is not so much that our our genes change or whatever. It's that gunk collects in our cells. It's just all that gunk that collects in the cells that mm. basically stops things from working efficiently. Yeah, I think it's something like the telomerase, like erosion of telomerase, or something in the end of the. Genomes or something like right, that. Right. I mean, are the chromosomes. I don't, you know. I'm like, not do you know a- what makes us go gray, for example? This is a weird one. Huh. What makes us go gray is there's like, uh, uh, you know that bleach that they use to make someone go blonde? Like that kind of collects um, in, your, in your scalp. Um, and now then you make it be blank on it. It's I know I know how, how most of our listeners peroxide. Are peroxide. Yeah, going, it's uh, like somehow peroxide, peroxide collects in the cells somehow, and then the hair that grows through it gets peroxided. Huh. Which is, a, that's a strange thing, isn't it? Right. How old were you when you started going gray? I think it was about when I met you. <laughs> no, no, you were gray or gray for me. Uh, maybe 35. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I I hope it's in our lifetime. I always tell my, my, my uh, daughter, so my daughter Izzy, who's fascinated by the cycle of life. She yeah. always talks about her dog who died four years ago. Is yeah. Baxter dead or when is back and this and that? And she's always talking about How old is she again? Oh, yeah, she just said seven. Seven, yeah. And she's asked me, she's like, when are you going to die, Daddy? And Oof. I was like, I got sweetheart, I got no plans on it. Yeah. <laughs> I got no plans on dying. I'm like, one way or another, I plan on sticking around. Yeah. You know? And it's just so funny, though. But she has That's that tough, time. yeah. And, and it, I guess you just have to, like, have no issue when she asks that question. Don't make any big deal out of it. Just... Just don't even say, oh, don't, you know, you can't say something like, oh, don't ask that. Don't, you know. Well, I can. I I honestly say I got no plans on it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I'm all for hacking the body or or the worst case, you know, cryogenics freeze me for a hundred years and come back. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I got no plans on dying one way or another. Upload my consciousness. Have you got that written anywhere? Like, does does Sandy know to, to do the whole cryogenics thing? No, I haven't done anything like that yet. But at some point. My buddy Mitchell and I have been planning. We've been talking about this since we were in high school. There was we first read an article about that. We we're like, we're totally doing that. <laughs> and Sandy, I told Sandy about it. I, I, I think we were driving the car one time, like you know, when we were. I don't think we were married yet. And I said, yeah. I, I said, I want to like, you know, I was like, when I'm right, when I'm before I die, I want to f- freeze myself before you die. Right, well, right before, right as you die, right immediately when you die. Yeah, right. So that you're frozen, so that. Um, you know, there's minimal degeneration and, um, you know, cause I figure like it's a Hail Mary pass, right? It's always like, 
you, you like close your eyes and then you might just wake up and be like, and you're up. <laughs> All right. Well, the world's not quite the way it was before. And I got news for you. This said, but you're alive. The good news is you're alive. At least you got that hope. Like, you know. Jesus. Anyway, we, we, we don't have to talk. We went to this whole yeah, about yeah. 100 shows ago or whatever. But um, that's that's why I can uh, honestly say to Izzy, I got no plans. I got no plans. <laughs> I got no plans. <laughs> but she always likes, the funny thing is Izzy is uh, likes to tease so she's always messing with me yeah you know like the uh the the, tv commercials messing with sasquatch yeah (laughs) (laughs) those are out right now she's always messing with me she's always messing with colby and she doesn't mess with if with uh uh with uh, ari or mom just the guys well she only wants to mess with sasquatch she does she's messing with the guy so she's always messing with colby and to me she's like daddy she's like why are you a little bit fat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? I got a flat stomach. She's like, you're a little bit fat. You know, she's That's a, funny. And she's a, she, she, she starts laughing, right? Because she knows it gets me. And then she's like, she's like, you're not, you're not blonde. You know, because I have the darkest hair of all in our family. <laughs> she goes, why do you have brown hair, daddy? We all have blonde hair. I'm like, Izzy, I have blonde hair. She's like, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> she's always got to mess with me. Yeah. Anyway, so... um Another um, another uh, texting email we're going to talk about. Go on. So Simon Holmes emailed us that he took some advice I gave on a show about learn a cutting-edge technology and start blogging about it and sort of decrease your luck surface area because I think he wanted to get into potentially consulting or, or something else. Yeah. And so he thought, well, I'll start learning about Node and, and Mongo. And Mongoose, I think, was was a particular, uh, I think that's an ORM for Mongo, uh, Node.js ORM, or Object Relational Manager. And um, he wrote, I don't know how many uh, uh, tutorials, and then he got contacted by a publisher, PackPub, and they wanted him to write a book. <laughs> so he wrote a book for them called Mongoose, Mongoose for Application Development. Uh, and I'll, I'll leave a link in the show notes, which is, I guess, coming out. Uh, it's out now or it's coming out in the next few weeks. And another publisher has contacted him about asking him about writing a, a book on a completely different subject. So I think that that just goes to show how influential we are. <laughs> well, I, I'm just happy that it proves the advice because I, I, I was so confident that this would work, even though obviously I haven't – I had never seen it happen for anyone else other than myself. Like I just like if you – Pick a new cutting edge technology, start blogging about it, and in 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 you know. Well, you did. Did you do that? You, I mean, you didn't specifically do that. I've never. I, I've, any, I never think this came from where I think this came from was that we had we had observed it on Hacker News a couple of times. Never, no, just made it up from the thin air. Well, then you deserve all the credit you should you can get. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so that was really you know. Good on uh, Simon. That's really yeah. cool. But I just, I mean, because we get an email like this once every month or two. Someone says, hey, you know, I want to start doing consulting or what you think you should do. And I pretty much say the same thing. And uh, pick something that's relatively new that not a lot of people know about. That we're, you know, because if, if you pick something that's been around for three years or five years, it's there's a lot of stuff already out there, right? And um, it's the whole, I guess, the SEO um, worth of it is much lower, right? If you if, if you try and write tutorials like on t- rails, yeah, what's your shot at getting a, a good result? None, right? Mm-hmm. We've renewed now, but if you like 
Go maybe is like a newer, some of these other newer things that you're starting to see pop up, you know, are right in that sweet spot of like, they're beyond just being a curiosity, but they're a lot, they're still quite a ways from being um, mainstream, mainstream technology. I think it's a great strategy. You know, and likewise, if, 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 if you're, if you're not interested in writing tutorials, which I think are the easiest thing to do is you can do open source modules and stuff, extensions. But I think better yet, I think it works, generally works a lot better. You get a lot more attention if you, either in addition to that or in lieu of that, as you write tutorials about it. Because people who teach immediately demonstrate that they are an authority and other people are going to want them to you know, leverage that authority. Well, it's not only going to get you book publishing deals, it's going to get you work. That's right. You know, and so... Because people will Google about that. They'll be stuck. Okay, here's, here's the cycle that'll happen. They'll be starting a startup. Um, they'll be looking, what's the hot new tech? And then they'll be going, okay, I want to build my startup with that hot new tech. And then they'll be doing Googling about that tech. Then they'll discover you because you wrote the tutorials about it. They'll go, oh, this is the person to speak to. So they'll either get you to consult for them uh, and work to work with their developers or they'll get you to build stuff for them. And, you know, in some cases it might lead to book publishing and maybe even a film. A film. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> You know what's really funny about that? He said in the, uh, I think in a follow-up email about it, he said that he was explaining it to his wife about why he was doing these tutorials. Because she was asking, she's like, well, why are you doing this? I mean, how are you going to make money from this? Mm-hmm. How are you going to get paid? Like, she didn't understand why he was funneling his energy into writing these tutorials. And he's like, you don't understand? I'm increasing my luck surface area. <laughs> she's like, I don't get it. What, <laughs> what what's you, luck surface area? What are you talking about? But in the end, it, uh, it, it paid off, and I guess she was convinced. You know, on a on an unrelated note, um, I was listening to a great NPR show um, about memory, about how our memory is uh, basically constructed. Like the the difference between living in the now and right. the difference between remembering something is completely different. So we kind of construct what seems like the most sensible thing for us to construct. And the great example that they gave, um, and this was a a neuroscientist who'd been researching it. So there was someone who had been in prison for like um, 25 years. And the way that he was in prison was on six people's eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. Right. So he had, it was a shooting. It was like a drive by shooting. A car drove up in front of this restaurant, hand reached out and shot. And six people saw that, that shooter. Right. So they're all taken in to look at a police lineup. Mm-hmm. and they all pick the same person. So that was the main testimony that got him locked away. So 21 years later, this guy comes and basically recreates the conditions and, and realizes that it's absolutely impossible that any of them could have seen that person's face because they knew exactly where the car was, they knew exactly what the lighting was, they knew exactly what the time of year it was, and the only thing you could see, even with the window open, is just completely black. You could just see like a, a gun sticking out, but nothing black. So the guy took the judge himself to the street corner and said, here, have a look for yourself. And they they drove the car past six times. The judge couldn't see any person, any face. Mm -hmm. And so, but all these people had just, they they kind of wanted to remember it. So they, they, um, you know, when, when a, a cop says to someone, pick someone out from this lineup and they're looking through these pictures, they're like, oh, well, I should pick someone out. Like that's part of my task. I've got I've got a little task here to pick someone out. Right. And then it's like, okay, who kind of looks like they should? Be? Oh, this guy looks like a, you know, a criminal. So they kind of all go for the same thing. And they and but then when they're cross uh, cross examined, they said, "Do you remember seeing that person?" Yes, I absolute clarity. I can visually see them in their mind. 
But part of the discussion is that people literally create the memories. Yeah, you know, I've heard stuff like that before. And uh, I think there's some truth to the fact that memories are malleable and faulty at times. But I don't totally buy that memories are completely untrustworthy. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's like... There's some big stats about, but I mean, I'd like to see, I'd like to see the studies because, you know, you know how many of these psychological studies you read where it turns out they're not reproduced anywhere? You know, we've covered that about like, oh, oh we took 20 people and this and oh, that. Oh, no, these and- stats are about overturned convictions. Okay. It was something like the number of overturned convictions that there are, 75% of them are from trials based on eyewitness testimony. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, and, and I think that's a sort of a complicated, um, situation because you have a lot of pressure on and about remembering stuff and people trying to get you to remember something or say yeah. that you saw something and having a lot of expectation about you knowing something that you, you may or may not know. But um, I think it's a, it's a long way from saying, well, we just can't trust what people say they saw ever, you know, nope. which is, which is what it gets to. It's like, if, if something's, if, if something isn't what's, well, anyway, I mean, that's... Um, there was another really interesting thing that they had mentioned on the same show, because they, they had the different people who had studied it. Yeah. And one of the things is that a memory is based on the ending. Like, the, how, how well you think about that experience is really based on how it closed, not what happened during the middle. So, <laughs> so for example, if you go through, like, some kind of ordeal, you know, have some kind of pain or whatever, but then at the end of that ordeal, there's a really happy experience you'll look back on that thing with fondness. You don't yeah. think about all of the middle time. Uh, yeah, and I, well, you know, sure. I mean, motion definitely plays a big part of it. I remember I, I, we talked about this about a year ago in, the, uh, the, in some studies they were doing about memory about this guy. I think he's at Columbia or NYU, and he was researching about how we store memory so that if you, you remember something and then you go through and you re-remember it, like you go through, you're sort of re-recording it. It's almost like if you read something off a hard disk, erased it, and then stored it again. And if you had hap- if you tried to associate a good feeling with it, it would it would um, remembering it like what might have been traumatic experience is no longer traumatic. Remember, I was talking about that. So like, yeah. people coming back from Iraq and yeah. post traumatic stress disorder and things like that. You could kind of use it to your advantage, though. Like, let's say you're going to give a tech talk at MicroConf or something, mm-hmm. you know, or you're going for a job interview. You could really use it to your advantage to make sure that the last two minutes were like really amazing <laughs> and everyone just remembers the yeah amazing last two minutes no they, no, they don't remember they, they remember the whole they're like oh that guy was amazing they'll just remember you as amazing they'll remember your talk as amazing or your interview is amazing that sounds that sounds cute but i i don't think that's what actually happened i think if you did if you actually did a study like that you made something incredibly boring but then there was a funny last two minutes that they would everyone think was is awesome you know, it just doesn't. Everyone would like, think, it, okay. I'm not enough. sure I would go. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that your idea, just in general, that I think there's a limit to that. Oh, there was something else that was good. We live in three minute seconds. So, sorry, three second moments. Okay. So, we live in three second moments, but we, we have our memory, which we kind of construct in a different part of our mind. Of our life, there's something like 600 million of these three second moments. Okay. 99.9% we never think of again and they're lost forever for all time. Right. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Well, <laughs> Google Glass comes along and everybody's <laughs> replaying their whole life constantly. I mean, there, were, there was this, uh, you know, they're talking about people who have like photographic memories yeah. or whatever. And there are some people who have amazing memories. I think, um, I forget the name of one of, uh, one of the people. They did on six, they did it, was just, this was on 60 Minutes like two years ago or 
something like something like that. And you know the woman from the redhead woman from Taxi, remember that old TV show Taxi? Yeah, yeah. So um, she's one of those people who have these memories that she can remember the weather, the date, the news, all that stuff. And she's not weirded out by it, doesn't she upset about it. You know, some people, you know, like, oh, I wish I could forget. Like, she just can't understand how people can't remember. It's just really weird to her that people don't know, don't remember. But don't things. you think, like, losing 95% of our life experience is, like, bad? Like, she, so she retains 100% of her life experience. We lose, you and I lose 95 plus percent of everything we go through. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of it's just kind of boring, right? Like, you know, it's like, well, how many times I got to remember myself brushing te- my teeth in the morning, right? <laughs> yeah, it's know, true. I mean, out the garbage but it's or... like, it's, uh, the, the, and, and they were saying, um, the, the scientist who was talking about it says, it's basically the brain's compression algorithm. So right. our compression algorithm is to remember kind of the, the moments of spikes, the kind of interesting stuff and let go of the other stuff. Yeah, well, that's why if you... If you, say, have a, a, a weekend and you go and do lots of things you've never done, it'll seem like a really long weekend. A lot of, and you remember everything. But if you do the same stuff you do most weekends, yeah. you'll, it'll just, the weekend will snap, go by like that. Yeah. And you really won't remember. Yeah, that's That's why it's like yeah. if, now this is a sort of an interesting sort of uh, trade-off. So it's like if you try and do new stuff all the time, you're all doing all kind of different things, um, your, your life is more interesting. Like, wow, I've did so many interesting things, so many new things. Um, but progress is generally made by following like a kind of routine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you don't really make progress in anything. You're all just doing all kind of crazy stuff, but you're making no progress towards anything that you want to accomplish. Right? So it's like if you want to lose I weight, I guess that's why they call it living in the moment, right? So people who don't work, who maybe just spend their whole lives just traveling around the world. Who are these people you're talking about? There's people. Just, who they, who they just live in the moment. That's all they do is travel around. And, yeah, but again, their travels may become kind of rote. Yeah, right? that's so true. So you run yeah. out of new responsibility. Like, how many how many times are you going to run your rail in Europe? You're like, yeah, I can't remember the train stations I was in. That's or true. Yeah. How many? I've been in so many of these little cafes or these little boutique hotels. Like, I look at like all the. So every time I go to San Francisco, well, which is every three or four weeks, and I stay in a some boutique hotel up there because those the, they have tons of those hotels sort of in the Union Square area. And uh, and they're 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 nice, but they're they're not overly priced. Like if you went and stayed at, I don't know what's you know some of these are just hun you know four hundred dollars a night. So anyway, I've seen a ton of, but a lot of them I can't really remember that well because they kind of start to blend in. Yeah, you think every one is different, but after a while, they start to blend in a way. They, your brain kind of starts to compress and compress them in a different way. But anyway, the the one thing I was going to say about. Um, the remembering your whole life there was a woman down in orange county who um the reason well she was purported to have this photographic memory she remembered everything and this um this cognitive scientist from uh, uc irvine went down there to to study her and, and, and interview her and trying to understand how her brain worked and how this was happening but it turns out like if she read five pages from a book and he said well can you remember recite that she she couldn't remember that kind of stuff only things that she could remember was things in her own life from previous days, what she wore, the weather, where she was, what was in the news. And the reason was is she kept constantly replaying it over and over. Every day of her life, she would replay it in her mind over and over again. Oh, she did it on purpose? She was obsessive, kind of obsessive about replaying oh, wow. what I wore three days ago, what I wore till I was here, I was doing this. So just constantly doing that stuff. It wasn't That's like she didn't put any thought into it. She was just... Okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say about the memory show. Okay. Okay. So this, uh, a journalist basically went to study 
the memory competition, a memory competition somewhere in the US. Yeah, yeah, he was a writer for the New York Times. And he got kind of obsessed by it. Yep. And then he studied it, and he then won he it. won it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, speaking of memory, we talked about this about a year ago. Oh, You forgot crap. the whole conversation. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the whole topic. We talk, we talked about this guy, and I, I is you know I can't remember the name of his book, but they use like their memory technique was like you're walking through this giant memory palace, memory, memory palace, palace yeah. this giant house, and you're trying to remember. You you would put certain memories in rooms, and you would visually cookie monster in the kitchen. Yeah, things like that. <laughs> and yeah, he won the whole thing. Which yeah, is amazing. Yeah, it's funny. Anyway, so uh, I'm gonna get to tech for a minute. Really? We're yeah. going to actually talk about tech? I think we will. I oh, mean, my Lord. We are called TechZing. Um, so, I, uh, last week, I was benchmarking the insert performance of MySQL in Node.js. Yeah. And I, I, I just did some, I was looking at, because there were various Node.js, uh, MySQL modules for Node.js. Or, yes, yeah, that's how you'd say it. Um, are Node.js modules for MySQL. And I want to see which one was fastest, if there was any difference. And, you know, I read some benchmarks and says, okay, let me see one of myself and myself. And sure enough, there was a substantial difference. Um, one was like 1,500 inserts per second, or another one was like 4,000 inserts per second. That's hardcore. And then, like the top two, one was like, we're, we're, we're actually, the top two, right, one was... Actually, about 2,800 inserts per second. The other one's like 3,200 inserts per second on a MacBook Pro. Pretty good, yeah. And the weakest one was like, the one I was using was like 1,800 or something, or 1,200. Only 1,200 inserts a second. Yeah. Well, and then I said, well, I want to experiment this against CouchDB. You know, because you had talked about how you're using CouchDB, and it was one of the, you know, much vaunted NoSQL databases. Mm -hmm. and that could only do uh, roughly 300 inserts per second. That's crazy. And well, I thought the whole point of NoSQL was that it could do like so much, so many I inserts. I don't know. I mean, and, and, the, and the table I had was like, you know, eight or nine columns, indexes, like a primary auto increment ID key. I had indexes on like two or three columns, nothing major, just a simple. So what is the point of NoSQL if, if MySQL is faster at inserts? I'm sure we'll get an email or a comment from... Um, Either uh, Riyad Kala is Kala. Yeah, Riyad. I think Kala. Yeah, uh, or uh, Sebastian. But insert performance ain't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, it's because I, I, CouchDB was not as as fast. The only way it could be nearly as fast, so I, w- I went and read the fine print, and like if you were inserting a thousand documents at a time, right? Then because it, it said three hundred thousand inserts per second, I was like. 300,000 inserts per second, that's amazing, especially if MySQL is only doing like 3,000, right? And sure, if you're doing 1,000 at a time, it wasn't any, any, it wasn't any slower or, mar, or, or much slower than if you're doing one at a time, one, insert, one row at a time, or one document at a time. But that's not how most systems work. I mean, but, if, you're, if, you're, if you're loading a huge data set in, sure, but most time it, things come as inserts as one at a time or two at a time. No, I know, but... but it, it does make sense because let's say, for example, it was an API and you had a lot of people talking to an API and you wanted to maximize and get up to 300,000 inserts, inserts a second. You basically, API comes in, you take the data, you store it in an array in memory, right? And then in one second chunks, you basically write that to the database. So you stack it up. So as much, as quickly as it could go into the memory, 
would be how how big that array could build, and then you dump it in. So you probably could do three hundred thousand a second. Yeah, but uh, a, a lot of times you could. I mean, this all depends on your on the application you're running, right? Yeah. Everything's different. But for the stuff that I'm doing, you can't lose a record, right? Like you need to stall right away, and I need an ID immediately. Like everything is pending okay. getting an ID. And, and, and moving on down the path. This is something you can queue up. And, and, and if it's just in memory and you're not writing immediately, then, you know. You could, it, could, it could go down. Yeah, it could go down. Or, like, you generate some unique identifier as an ID, stick it in a job to run. Nothing is serialized to disk. You reply back to the client, say you're good. And then, of course, at some point, you're not good. Like, there, you know, something goes down, doesn't, has a write failure. Or, to, or this, the, um, you know, something screws up with the, the computer. But it, it, it does sound like if you were prepared to go through a few extra hoops, you could even give yourself some redundancy under that scenario and still get a very, very high insert count. But you'd have to yeah. architect a bunch of stuff, whereas MySQL is giving you 3,000 inserts out of the box. Well, and I ran it on my VPS, which is just like a cheap $20 a month yep. um, VPS. And I was getting, with this fast, it was called... M- lib mysql client or something yeah and it could do about it was it would range between 5,000 and 8,500 but it would average about 7,500 inserts per second hmm. you know and that's a that's what you say a, a, a real insert I mean, it's, yeah it's, i'm getting the id back that's cool. so that was pretty impressive yeah that is on one core you know you're just on one machine or whatever vps yeah so um and then I tried uh, another one, which was RethinkDB, which I think is a Y Combinator startup. Yeah. And it was claiming like 25,000. Per second. Per second, you know. And oh. so I got really excited about Rethink and Couch because I'm just like, wow, look at this, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, so I said, you know, write a, you know, I'll write a little benchmark, see how this goes. Again, <laughs> you have 50 inserts per second. Well, so how, well, how are they claiming 25,000 then? Again, it was like, well, you could say like, like there was no reply, durability soft, there's no guarantee that it was actually going to get saved, and oh. you do like a thousand at a time, that kind of stuff. I see. It was like a lot. There was definitely some fine print there. Okay. But if you're if you're like, you know, this can't go down, has to be saved one at one at a time, whatever. Then yeah, they That's both interesting. are yeah. not. They did not work like, you know, it seemed like they might work. I mean, it's just like yeah, three hundred thousand per second for couch, if. You do it this way, which mm-hmm. is, I don't think, the common use case. Yeah. But, you know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe some people's applications, that's exactly how they work. Well, I'm, I'm thinking Twitter. I mean, say, for example, Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. They probably do it in that kind of a way where they'll, they'll do 300,000, but they've probably architected some complicated in-memory buffer scenario that then builds it up as like a string and then bumps it in. Yeah. I mean, you could, yeah, everything's in RAM. Maybe... Maybe you send it out to multiple machines and it's in RAM in both those machines and you can take a minute before, you know, get a chance that both machines are going to go That's down. That's unlikely, yeah. Unless they're on the same power cord and someone steps on the back. Yeah, yeah. It's out of the, <laughs> There's no backup power or something, you know. Well, that's the same. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. No, that's better. I mean, things like that can happen. But um, anyway. Yeah, anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I got a lot more topics. So, I don't know, do you think you want to talk about? or? Uh, I'll, I'll bring it up if I do. Um, so I don't know. Someone switched it up a little bit. So did you see the uh, Miley Cyrus dance? Yeah, there was that was that was a huge amount of like coverage. She got up at the was at the um, yeah 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 music awards or whatever, and she does this really kind of raunchy. She pulls a strange face. It's like like this or something. Yeah, you know, she's just it's kind of give that punk yeah yeah that punk attitude, and she's kind of grinding against 
you know, guy bend over and all right. that stuff. And so people got really upset about it. People were just like, oh my God. But this one article, I was on LinkedIn. It was, uh, it was titled Miley Cyrus Best Career Move Ever. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, and then basically what they're talking about is that if, if it's somebody, because um, it they're saying, well, there's such a thing as bad press, but the, pro- the thing is that for Miley Cyrus, she wasn't top of mind for most people, but this put her top of mind. And they, they did some stu- analysis on it. So like people who um, were famous, but people weren't really thinking about, and they got some bad press, their sales, everything went up. Like Michael Jackson, remember when he had those, that press about, you know, um, you know, he might be molesting these young boys and all this kind of stuff. His sales went up. Because people start thinking about him, they're like, "Oh yeah, he's got some great albums." <laughs> you know, that's crazy. Isn't that weird? I mean, I was—I thought you were going to say the reason why it's good press is because she was like, you know, targeted at kids, and she wanted to break through to adults. Well, I think I think that she was probably—I think it was a very um, uh, strategic move. I think this was not something that she just was like, "Oh, I think I'm just going to wear this tonight and go crazy," right? Like, no, this is like, okay probably talking about an agent where this is a pivotal point in career. She's kind of fallen out of the Disney phase of her career, right? And she needs to project herself into the adult world. And she had kind of lost a lot of sort of attention. And this... I don't even see what was so raunchy about it. I mean, it was just, just a regular... I mean, I mean, Madonna would have done the same thing. I mean, it, doesn't, it didn't did seem... Did you see it? You maybe maybe, it, maybe I didn't see the raunchy part, but I saw... I mean, I saw the first two minutes of it. You see where she's like... She's bent over, almost naked. Back, uh, but I guess guys, it's, I'm not, you know, back she, up against she, this guy's crutch, grinding up against this guy's crotch, right? Oh, uh, okay. Fair enough, I suppose. On, on regular TV. Right. Yeah, okay. You can imagine a lot of people would find that offensive. I guess a lot of, yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> right. I mean, so uh, anyway, it, it turns out it's probably going to drastically improve her career. <laughs> <laughs> Strategically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, another one, um, that, uh, let's see, I got a couple things here. Um, I think I'm going to talk about this. So, uh, it was funny. Um, I was talking to one of the, uh, architect at this one company that I've done some advising for, or I've been doing some advising for, um, about the mobile app, whether it should be native or mobile or whatever, mm-hmm. titanium and, and he had been sort of pushing towards more of a, um, a hybrid where it was um, the, the, the majority of the app itself was a, a web view. And so that you could update it and can do whatever you want. Because he had worked on the Delta app, mobile app, mm-hmm. and it's worked really well. And I said, oh, yeah, you should see the, there's LinkedIn. There's an article on LinkedIn about, uh, you know, it's called You'll Never Believe How LinkedIn Built Its New iPad App. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's talking about how. It was 90%, you know, web view and HTML5 and stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's actually old. They actually jumped back to native. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and again, I didn't realize that the article was an old one. I, it, was, it was May of 2012. So the newer one that came out almost a year later was why LinkedIn dumped HTML5 went, and went native for its mobile apps. And the same thing. It was just too slow. Like, same with Facebook, yeah. Yeah, they tried the same thing and it still wasn't there. Anything, I mean, I found that uh, anything that has lists, like long lists, like a Facebook wall or a, or a LinkedIn wall, 
it's you just can't use the HTML4 because there's weird weird HTML4 rend- HTML5 there's just weird rendering defects you know it just doesn't render it nicely it's like like images like I, I think the basic engine is weird like as you scroll down the page images like come in and then they like flash and jiggle a little bit right it's just like ugh, you know it just doesn't seem professional so if I was going to build an app like that I would do it native but you but you said that um, titanium works really well for lists and things oh, like yeah. that. oh yeah, yeah. It's native. I mean, it's fast. And yeah. now, speaking of uh, that, I mean, speaking of working with Titanium, because I've been working on a, a, actually two separate um, mobile apps, and um, the the biggest frustration for me right now is getting things to work right on Android. Um, right. I mean, the Titanium sort of abstraction layer, I think, is is generally pretty good. But there are just certain properties that have to be set or set in a certain way. Otherwise, it'll screw up an Android. So, like, you you, you don't have like you may not have to set the width and height of a view on on the iPhone. And it'll still look fine. You don't specify those for the um, for Android, and like won't show up. <laughs> you know, like where's my window? Like you're saying view, and so and so the it's like cross browser problems. It's it just, is. It's, it's like i six, i six, Netscape, yeah. Firefox, all over again. You know, you're like okay. You have to fork a little bit here and there, and you have to tweak things. I mean, compared to building a native Cocoa and a native Java app, I mean, it's way easier than that. It's just, it's still not right once. Forget about it. I mean, there's yeah. still a lot of like forking and like, and the, and the, and, the, and just like when you remember how to build those websites, you you didn't want to build the whole thing in like Firefox and then turn around and try and make sure it worked in i6 because then everything would be broken. You'd be like, yeah. what is the problem? Is that what you've done? Well, I did that for the first one because I didn't have the emulator installed. Yeah, and then I, and then nothing worked, right? Did you did you see the email um, that Darren sent about getting a fast emulator? I did. I, I so I saw this morning, and I was thinking about doing that, but then I was like, the emulator's working. Like, I don't want to mess with like, well, I want to well, well, leave you know well. What? I was like, leave well enough alone because if if I break it and the emulator doesn't work, I'm screwed. Well, Darren uh, sent that, and I, I'd forwarded it to you, and also to Jeremy, who does our Android stuff. And Jeremy plugged it in and it works great. He said it's like so much faster. It's unbelievable. Well, as it turns out, my emulator just stopped working today for no reason. Okay. So I got nothing to lose at this point. I mean, I restarted yeah. I restarted the titanium development environment, the emulator, then I restarted my whole machine. I yeah. started a new project, like a simple like Hello World project, and it won't it won't work. So I might as well. But so we'll the emulator put, is just we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But um, Darren Phillips sent us a great a great email and some great hints on how to uh, how to work with um, Android on Macs and just just make the make the emulator work really fast. Yeah, well, it looks like a, actually looks like a modern yeah, it looks like Android a, yeah. screen and yeah. it's fast. I mean, because the pain you, you like you'll 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 make some changes. You're like, okay, run the iOS simulator. You got like, okay, it looks okay. Boom, start the emulator. It's like starting, starting, I know. loading. You're just like, why is it so slow? <laughs> going to sleep. But like I just said, you can't. You can't use a strategy of like, well, I'll just get the whole thing kind of sketched out working iOS, and then I'll come back two or three weeks later, and then... You have to build it one screen at a time, check it in both apps. Otherwise, you just have this giant yeah. mess of stuff that just yeah. flat doesn't work, and you can't get to the bottom of all the things that are broken. It takes forever. There's, he, said, he sent through another great UI article that I, I Skyped you that just showed the difference between the UI of the iOS and Android and how you need to think about it. Yeah, no, I'm aware of those. Yeah, I've, that's I've, cool. I've done a lot of research on the... That's uh, cool. The UI conventions and patterns and stuff. So, yeah, I, I already seen stuff like that or seen that article but um yeah it's 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 funny i mean on the one sense in the one in one hand or on the one hand um 
Titanium is 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 great, um, but it's it's a little annoying when this stuff just doesn't work. And I don't even know is it titanium the problem? Is it the emulator that's the problem? Maybe a little bit of both. You know, I mean, there's no free lunch, right? I mean, you're gonna pay one way or another. It's just mm. some things. There are some ways that are much easier in other ways, but usually it's not like a silver bullet. Like it removes all problems. It's like, well, you know, it's I mean, it's eighty twenty, right? Yeah, there's times, yeah. So, for example, with, with Digidoo, the reason why HTML5 is the right decision is because we're a small team and we want it to work on Android, we want it to work on Mac, we want it to work on the web. And it's the only way you're really going to do it. I know you said that Titanium could work on the web, but I, I, I don't well, believe it. Well, um, it generates mobile. Yeah, but mobile. I don't think it, it would work on the web in a way that could really work with the stuff that we need to do. Well, why don't you try it? Because I, I just know that it would be a, a lot of work. I mean, just things like, for example, drawing on the screen, right? Well, it doesn't mean that you can't use your own library. It just creates a framework around it. But that what? Well, so you use your own library to, to like get a, a line drawing on the screen, and that's going to work in Titanium. It's going to be like, I, I mean... Yeah, it's a straight-up JavaScript, yeah. It's a straight-up HTML JavaScript. So you, can, you, you, can, you can probably... I mean, I haven't done the mobile I'm, I'm pr- stuff. I feel well, I pretty, wouldn't. I mean, I, I think it's a bad position to go on saying yeah. you're absolutely certain of something when you haven't done any research on it or tried it, right? Yeah. I mean, spend an you hour. No, you're right. You're spend right, an hour or two on a Saturday afternoon screwing around with it, and you know maybe you're you're right. I mean, you might, it may be likely that you're right, but you could be wrong. I mean, annotation, for example, like so annotation where you're clicking into a line of text and you're like dragging across the text and making it yellow. So you build something that's going to work on iPhone, and then that's also going to work on. I mean, for a start, I can't believe that you, there's not going to be a crap load of forking to make that work on iPhone versus Android. So, you know, some real hardcore graphical feature like that. Right. Don't you think that would require forking? And then you're going to click a button and it's going to output it to the web and that's going to work? Right. No way. Right. I know. I'm, so I'm probably I'm being down on it, but I'm just... So you're, you're guy, you guys are going to try and get your stuff working on, on uh, um, iPads, right? Yeah, we, we, are, we are on iPads. We're in the, we're in the app. We're in the Apple store. So what'd you do? You just create it, put it in WebView and put it in PhoneGap or something? Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, it's in PhoneGap um, and uh, it's in a, basically it just works in a WebView. It, it, is, it is essentially a web application. Right. So it'll work in any web view. How, does it, put it how well does it work? Yeah, great. Really good. It does? Yeah. So well, what's the latest on Digidoo? What do you, what's the story? Oh, I didn't want to, sorry, I didn't want to hijack what you were saying. No. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, the, the point that I was just making is that I, like, if I was going to do something like Mealreel, I would do it in Titanium, and I would develop it in Titanium and uh, in Android and iPhone. That's like some little side project that I have. Uh, just to tell listeners, because you probably haven't heard about it, Mealreel was an idea that I had where basically every time you have a meal, you take a picture of it, and it just kind of t- creates this little reel. reel. It's like Instagram. It's cr- imagine you cross Instagram with like diet journaling. That right. was the idea behind that. Right. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I would use Titanium for something like that. But then for something like Digidoo, where you want to go to the web as well, personally, I would recommend HTML5. But then I could imagine there might be times when you want to go fully native. Yeah. I mean, uh, Facebook. I mean, there, are, there are reasons to do it either way. You know, I mean, I got all these technologies. You know, that's why I think there's, it's so silly when I get these, um, you read these comments on Hacker News, like, I can't believe someone would ever use Node.js for this, or I can't believe someone would ever use PHP, or I can't believe someone would ever use Ruby, or everybody just, they just kind of, you know, they just go off on these sort of rants about stuff, and it's like, dude, like, all of these technologies can work for a huge number of 
of you of um problems and they work really well and it just depends on what people are comfortable using and know how to use and yeah, there are some problems that are really um not meant to be solved by certain types of tools yeah but um they can work you know and a lot of times like well this isn't going to scale or this and it's like well it depends i mean at the limit it won't scale but you know even using that one like i said i'm gonna rethink db and even if i was using it to insert one thing one record a second 50 inserts a second is still pretty high that probably still get you pretty far along, you know, before you run into any problems, right? So computers are pretty fast. We we forgot to mention that Simon Holmes had actually given us a donation of fifty dollars. Oh, well, thank you, Simon. That's awesome. So he was he gave us a donation and then also wrote us an email. And the reason why we didn't get the donation was because like the the uh, PayPal donation didn't come through mm-hmm. was because it was like there's been an issue with the blog email. Okay, it's like been five running five days late. Right. Yeah, so I've had to deal with that. That's that's working now, so hopefully we should start getting emails. Five days? I have three days. It's, like, it's between three and five days, depending on how spammy it thinks the email looks. Because basically the, prob- the issue is is that... So you'll notice that his, the email that he sent to us came through pretty quick, right? I didn't know. I didn't log, so I didn't know. Yeah, but the, the PayPal donation email, it's like four days late. Huh. <laughs> so obviously it thinks that, you know, Google's making this decision that... If an email is sent to an email address and then forwarded to another email address and then going to a Gmail account, if it comes from PayPal, that's spammy and we're going we're gonna to trap it for like three days. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's frustrating. So, so you have, you're the workaround is you have some POP3 accounts or something? Yeah. Well, going back to the old-fashioned email system where when someone sends an email to, to textinglive.com, it goes into a, an actual inbox and then Gmail pulls it out from a pop, with a POP3. You know how you can... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what we're doing now. And would you say there's still going to be like a day delay or something like that? or? Well, for, not for me, but for you probably. Right, because you set up some kind of like a cron script to ping. Yeah, basically G, Gmail's POP3 uh, fetcher, so basically it has a, it's called the Gmail fetcher, right? That looks to see how often email comes into your inbox, and then it only checks based on that. So if you get one message a day, it's going to like check once a day. If you get one message twice a day, two, you know, two messages a day, it'll check twice a day. It ba- it'll basically average. I don't think it goes longer than once a day. But so uh, the workaround for that is to send an email to yourself every 15 minutes and then just siphon that off with a, with a filter. <laughs> well, it'll be a little test because I'm not going to do that. So yeah. I guess we'll see. So, but since I'm the one who always responds to emails right away, <laughs> anyways, maybe like a day or two. I think it's going to even things out I, for us. That, it will, yeah, it'll be much better. So listeners will send an email and a day later, they will get a response from both of us. From me, probably first still. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you see the, um, you see the, uh, just today it just came out. I was, I made sure I made sure I did a bunch of reading on it before I, I came over for the show to record the show was that the NSA is, um, well, I'll just read the, um, I'll read the little, Launch ticker. I haven't looked right. at the news today, so this so is says, NSA circumvent, circumvents or cracks much internet encryption through supercomputers, technical trickery, and court orders. Beginning in the 2000s, NSA built supercomputers to break codes and collaborated with tech companies to build product entry points. 2010 memo led multi pronged effort to break widely used internet encryption attacks. So basically, they've broken most internet encryption. Um, is that include SSL? SSL? Yeah, they've and the ones they couldn't, they've gotten. So let me see if I, I, I take some notes on this. I'll, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read you some stuff that I uh, kind of pasted in here because I, I can't remember all of it. This is um, 
First one, um, this is from a New York Times article um, that was just came up today. It says, the NSA spends more than $250 million a year on its SIGINT, which is Signals Intelligence, enabling project, which actively engages the U.S. and foreign IT industries to covertly influence and or overtly leverage their commercial products designs to make them exploitable. Okay, so the you know, companies that sell routers or whatever, they're, they're, that's what they're working, that's who they're working on. In yeah. one case, after the government learned that a foreign intelligence target had ordered new computer hardware, the American manufacturer agreed to insert a backdoor into the product before it was shipped. Someone familiar with the request told the Times. Bloody hell. NSA documents show that the agency maintains an internal database of encryption keys for specific commercial products called a key provisioning service, which can automatically decode many messages. It is the, if the necessary key is not in the collection, a request goes to the separate key recovery service, which tries to obtain it. So they... You know, so they're trying to break all of the, I guess, the keys for the SSL stuff. Uh, one goal, so, they, so they're not breaking the, they're not breaking the SSL. Th- no, both. They they've broken a lot of it, and the stuff they haven't, they are working with um, the manufacturers of the chips or the chipsets or the boards or the software to, to put backdoors in. Um, says one goal of the agency's 2013 budget request was to influence policies, standards, and specifications for commercial public key technology is the most common encryption method. So they were actually, like there was one instance where, you know, they get like a, 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 a you know, a request for comment from the NSA. So like when, when um, they, they, they were acting like they wanted to make sure that private encryption technologies and algorithms were really safe, you know, like they were doing a favor and, and but it turns out they were actually trying to exploit it and put in backdoor or hacks into the algorithms so that they would have a backdoor. So I'm reading that in Hacker News and people are like, oh, you know, the NSA works with these, you know, people in private enterprise and academia to, to strengthen these algorithms because we don't want the Chinese or the Russians to break into it. turns out they were actually just working to put in their own backdoors, either algorithmic backdoors or technological backdoors. Well, why don't we just, you know how the, like, the key is 256 bits and, you know, the encryption key is 256 bits. Why don't we just say, okay, the key's 20,000 bits? Yeah, it might work. I mean, I don't know much about encryption, so the longer the, the key length, and how, you know, presumably the more work it would require. But, um, yeah, so Bruce Schneier, right? He's the big um, yeah. uh, in, uh, security expert who's always, you know, he's always hitting top-ranked, um, he's always top-ranked on Hacker News. He just lost his shit. In this article, he is just like, that is it. Like, he goes, um, let's see if I can um, find it. But he, there was an article on um, on The Guardian. If we can find it. Yeah, I forget. He says, the U.S. government has betrayed the Internet. We need to take it back. The Internet, and the subtitle is, the NSA has undermined a fundamental social contract. We engineers built the Internet, and now we need to fix it. And see if I can find the, um, yeah, so he goes, and he goes, um, he said, one, we should expose. If you do have a security clearance and if you do not, and if you have not received a national security letter, you are not bound by federal confidentiality requirements or a gag order. If you have been con- contacted by the NSA to subvert a product or protocol, you need to come forward with your story. Your employer obligations don't cover illegal or unethical beha- activity. If you work with classified data and are truly brave, expose what you know. We need whistleblowers. Um, he says, we need to know how exactly the NSA and other agencies are subverting routers, switches, the internet backbone, encryption technologies, and cloud systems. 
I already have five stories from people like you, and I've just started collecting. I want 50. There's safety in numbers, and this form of civil, civil dis- disobedience is the moral thing to do. Two, we can, des- we can design. We need to figure out how to re-engineer the Internet to prevent this kind of wholesale spying. We need new techniques to prevent communication intermediaries from leaking private information. So anyway, he goes on. I'll put a link to it, but... Is that... What website is that on? Just his blog? This is the Guardian. Oh, the Guardian, yeah. Yeah, so he, you know, he obviously writes... He is, his blog is very popular. I mean, he is one of the most well-known, most respected security experts anywhere. Yeah. And he's frequently quoted or writes articles for, you know, a number of major um, magazines or, or sites. So, yeah, but I mean, he, it's funny. He's one of these guys who start off and, he, and they're just purely technical. Like they talk about like the peculiar aspects of, uh, particular aspects of some encryption al- algorithms or techniques, but he's gotten more political as all this stuff has come out where he's like, when people who'd like is being dragged into the realization mm-hmm. that things are way worse than we thought, you know, which is kind of funny. It was like watching, um, Hacker news evolved. Like people initially were very suspicious of any que- um, questions of the, the NSA's capabilities and motives. And now, and then over time, people became more and more cynical. It was like to a point like everybody's just. You might as well just assume that they're doing whatever they can to subvert everything, whether it's illegal, unconstitutional, unethical, whatever. Yeah. And they, for all intents and purposes, they can have whatever they want. Yeah, they may not store every single thing going, but they can not store ninety eight percent of stuff that goes through and, and know they're not missing anything. It's spam, video, whatever. But anything and everything that's important that they think or might be potentially important, they can they can uh, collect if the encryption they can break if it's you know whatever like they can subvert. What they were saying is some of these documents were saying that like even. Um, you know, if they can't break a system, they'll make sure they subvert the uh, computer system itself. They'll collect it before it gets sent, you know. So it's, it's, it's worse than we thought, you know. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, like, you know, I've been talking about it for a long time. And it's like, I hate being right about this. I like being right about Tesla. I hate it being right about this. Like, it's, it's like, you know, it's like, I mean, cause I remember talking about this. To a few of my friends. I think we talked about the show a little bit, but I talked to a few friends and they're like, I You didn't don't know. want to get into politics in the early days. Yeah, but it's just, it's so, it's just, uh, it's terrible. I mean, um, and I don't think people understand how, like, what a threat to democracy it is when you have that kind of a, a you know, you know all, all-encompassing severe security. Well, if you have, I mean, state. you know, there could be some change through some posts like this and, you know, people like this. I yeah, mean, well, this is it. I mean, you have to have people like, Bruce Schneier, who have a lot of um, visibility and credibility and have a platform, you need people like him to stand up and say, look, guys, we got to fix this. Yeah. You know, Um, and uh, that's, yeah, it's going to take, and it's going to take people like us supporting that, talking about the show, blogging about it, tweeting about it, emailing your congressman, calling your congressman, donating the EFF, the ACLU, you know, you got to, if you don't do those things, then don't bitch. Don't complain in 15 or 20 years when things are really bad and you're like, yeah, well, you know, we should have fixed it. It's like, well, what did you do? You know, what did you do? Did you tell one friend? Did you write one tweet? Is that your extent of your participation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, that's, then, you know, you can just shut up and accept whatever reality exists. So speaking of realities, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay one more, one more um, uh, what do you call it? Letter from the dark, from dark, the dark side. Letter from the dark side. So I assume you've been uh, reading or at least watching the Syria war propaganda. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? 
Um, it's just it's just like uh, you know weapons of mass destruction all over again. Isn't it amazing? I mean, is the propaganda? I mean, the propaganda. It's like they don't even sh- change the techniques. I mean, it's so over the top uh, bad. I mean, Carrie's just getting out there, just stretching, stretching the truth on everything. Like you know, and they use all these sort of weasel words and and stuff, and like hedging on everything, but yet trying to say, well, we're we're really confident that we are right about this, but they don't really have evidence. They don't really know. I mean, what what reason would the would the Assyrian government? I mean, the Syrian government, the Assyrian government have to use chemical weapons when we've said there's a red line and we have our, attack, our carrier attack groups, you know, just out there in the Mediterranean. If you if you use weapons, chemical weapons were coming in. The rebels who were, were who were actually losing, they were losing ground. Do they have a motive to create a false flag attack, make it look like the Syrians use chemical weapons so they could get in uh, air, an air attack from us? Yes. You look at the who has the motive. There's no motive for the Syrian government to do that. And we know that the, uh, that the rebel, that the you know, rebel or whatever you want to call them, I mean, they're just a loose collection of people. A lot of them are, are out of Iraq. A lot of them are Qaeda affiliated. Um, they have access to stuff like that. We, there, is, uh, there were a number of, of chemical attacks, which you know, uh, associated groups had used. And there's no evidence that it's sarin gas or nerve gas, that it quite likely is chlorine gas, which is something that's like do, you know, DIY kind of stuff. Um, Why do you think that uh, this, this rhetoric machine is being spun up again? Yeah, I mean, well, the, the neocons are beating the drums like crazy. They are all over. They're swarming the, uh, the uh, Congress right now, lobbying them. So why do the neocons want it? Um, well, the neocons, they're sort of... What's neocons? Neoconservatives, the neocons. Oh, okay. Um, you know, they're... they're I mean, and I think they're, they're sort of theory of, like, total war. Like, they, they believe in U.S. hegemony, U.S. empire, and they ultimately want to destroy all the Arab countries around in the Middle East, reduce them to, you know, warring tribes or whatever. Um, you know, I think the, the only, the only people who want it are the military industrial complex, you know, because they make a lot of money. Any times of war, they make a ton of money, right? All those Tomahawk missiles cost like... But it's, so this isn't about oil or something? Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's, there's multiple, there are multiple groups that have different agendas. There's the gas pipeline, um, agenda. I mean, there's, I think, um, there's something like, so they don't, so Syria doesn't have a lot of oil but they have pipelines running through it and i guess there is a proposed pipeline that would run through iran from iran through syria to europe or whatever and i don't know turkey or whatever it is that would allow um iran to sell gas to the europeans right this the the qataris and the and the, and the saudis don't like that right um that undermines the market for them um of course then you have the whole sunni shia stuff right and um that's a problem uh, Syria is allied with Iran, which is Shia. Um, the Emirates and Saudis are Sunni. You have that whole big thing going on. So it's about, you know, who has oil and gas and who, how, who can distribute it and who has control. There's all these sorts of things, right? You know, the, the, the neocon agenda has been to attack the, the seven countries they listed. In, I think it was in a, a, a list in a clean break, which is the, one of the big sort of foundational 
um, documents on it. And it was also like rebuilding America's defenses. But why, why would Obama be behind it? I think Obama's just weak. I think he can't stand up to the, you know, the, uh, the neocons and the military industrial complex and, you know, whatever, whatever the, the law is. I just think he's weak. I mean, I think he's shown himself not able to stand up to this kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, he's trying to like, like he's, they, they keep saying, well, we're not going to do boots on the ground. We're just going to attack. Right. And like, I mean, what's that, what's that going to do? Right. They don't want regime change. They're just going to punish them. But yet they told the inspectors to get out. I mean, uh, was it Susan Rice, the national security advisor, told the, the UN inspectors to get out after two days because it doesn't matter. They say, well, it doesn't matter. And why, why would it matter? Why would you be telling the, the UN inspectors to get out for two days? Because you're going to send in stuff to blow stuff up. Right. Because you already have the policy. The policy is there. We're just fitting the facts to the policy. Right. Right. We, we don't need, you know, be, you know uh, any facts to contradict our, 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 our policy. And our policy is to, uh, uh, you know, we're going to go in and, and, and destroy or keep either, either destroy the regime or, um, uh, you know, which is what the Saudis want. Or Could it have anything to do with, like, trying to create a different news cycle away from the NSA stuff? I think that's, I think as we can, a list of things that might be like uh, 10th on the list of, of priorities. I just can't believe that like Americans would stand behind it and be like, yes, war's a really good thing again. Let's go and invade someone else. Well, the majority don't want it. Well, I, but, well, I heard numbers like 50-50 banded around. Yeah, the I mean, it's changed. It was, it was 9%, but the propaganda works after a while. You know, if you turn on, like I was turning on, I was even just watching like the you know, I was watching like Bloomberg or something for a few minutes. I was eating my breakfast this morning or was yesterday morning. And they spent the whole time talking about, not talking about like, okay, like how do we know the rebels weren't the one who set off the, um, the chemical weapons? You know, they weren't asking questions like that. They were asking questions of like, well, how are you going to convince the American people? <laughs> like we're already on board. Like how are you going to convince the American people? That's what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, and that's what I kept hearing. It's like unbelievable. And it's like, and so here's what's going to happen. The Congress is going to ultimately vote for it or vote for some limited amount. We're going to go in and it's going to be like Libya. We're going to do these airstrikes and we're going to do all this stuff. And we're going to, you know, destroy certain parts of Syria and a lot of people are going to get killed. And then, um, you know, if we're unlucky, then we're going to decide that we, we need to put in ground troops and it's going to be a real disaster. But it, it could get worse because once you start screwing around with stuff like this, you know, the, um, the Syrians could um, or the rebels – could say, you know what, we're just going to throw, do another false flag attack, send some chemicals over to Israel, send a chemical loaded rocket to Israel, and Israel gets involved, right? And Israel gets involved, and they're like, you know, screw this. I mean, Syria is allied with Iran. You know, the stuff that Syria is doing somehow has some relationship to Iran. We're going to go ahead and attack Iran. Like, things have a way of getting out of control and spinning out of control. This is how major regional or global conflicts start. You know, you're, you're in, and it's just, it's stupid. And it's, you know, it's, you, I mean, you can't just go attack, you know, another another uh, country like that. That's aggressive war. I mean, that's violation of international law. And they're going to do this, and it's all for just ridiculous, sh short-sighted political reasons. You know, I mean, the Saudis want it for their reasons. The Qataris want it for their reasons. The military-industrial complex wants it because they're going to make money. The uh, the Israel wants it because they want to reduce the power of their neighbors so that they, there's no limits on their, how they can project power in the region. So it takes, takes the eyes off of the settlements that they're, that they're uh, continually authorizing into 
you know, Palestinian lands. It further weakens Iran. The U.S. can, uh, you know, you know, uh, push forward on, on the whole limiting Iran's influence. I mean, it's like all of these pieces coming in, but it's all based on complete bullshit. So it's just like that Iraq thing. It's going to be, it's complete. It's all based on, uh, all, all based on lies. Nobody but this knows time the Britain didn't support them. Yeah. And, and, and they, and they didn't spoil them, but it was, it was mostly uh, from what I understand of it was political reasons. It was less about that. You know, they didn't want to go to war. It's like they, I think the, um, was that Tories and something were kind of trying to undermine Cameron or something. They're going after Cameron. Like this is a way to let make Cameron look bad. I see. I mean, I'm not an expert on, on British yeah. politics, but I, I read a couple things they were talking about. Like it was good that it worked out that way, but in the end, it's not really going to make a difference. I mean, France is in on it. The U S is down and on it, you know, well, but that's, uh, but I'm just here to say like, that's letters from the dark you'll, side. You'll, you will know, we'll find out like, Three or four or five years later, like, oh, well, it turns out that that was bad evidence or we really didn't know. Or like the 1,429 deaths that are attributed that the, uh, that the White House just pulled out of their ass is complete bullshit, you know, and that how could they possibly know that number? Like, where did they get that number from? They're not even telling where they got it. So they got it from some rebels who just made it up, you know? Well, the Doctors Without Borders said 325, but yet the U.S. apparently is 425. And I mean, a uh, 1,429 and 325 children, of course, they don't have a list of any names. So they're just making, making it up. What would be the best thing for us, for, for us to do, you know, to tell listeners to do, to make a, to probably, make a probably call, write your congressman probably the number one thing. Yeah. You know, that would probably be the minimum thing you could do. Okay. At least, you know, uh, tweet about it, you know, Facebook, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that's the minimum, okay. you know, that's the minimum, but I mean, it's like, but if everybody, or not if everybody, even if like, you know, um, uh, uh, 10 million people did it, 5 million people did it. I mean, the, 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 the Congress would back off it. It wouldn't happen. Yeah. You know? You know, hundreds of thousands. If, if they got 100,000 phone calls from California to the Congress, men and women, based on this issue, they would back away from this so quickly. You yeah. know, it doesn't, take, it doesn't take 300 million people, but it just takes enough people to say, you know, this is not okay. Anyway, unfortunately, I think it's, it's too late. I mean, I think it's it's it's... Or at least on the verge, if we don't do something in a few days, it looks like. So, do, have you found your congressman? I have not, but I signed two position, petitions. Okay. And I've tweeted about it, talked about it on the show. Well, I will definitely, so, I will definitely sign a petition and tweet about it. <laughs> the least you can do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And it's frustrating to watch, right? That's what, I'm, I'm not sure what I'll be able to do from Lake Powell next week. When so I'm, where are you going? So I'm, I'm going on vacation. Um, to, 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 this is now to try and, you know, the way we do our roller coaster. Okay, show. yeah, we're out of the letters uh, of the dark side. Okay, this right. letters of the dark side closed, and I don't, I don't want to try and, uh, uh, what's the word? Show too much levity against the minimize it. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't want to minimize what Jason was just talking about. But anyway, I'm going on vacation next week. <laughs> where are you going? Um, Lake Powell, I said. It's yeah, Lake Powell. So it's going to be, where? it's going to be a houseboat, um, and it's in Utah. And a houseboat. Yeah, a houseboat. So we're going to be. It's going to be just docked. It's there's no no. It's in traveling around the lake. So you're going to be. You're going to sleep on it. Yeah. And you're going to just be motor. It's around the lake. it's basically like you know those big RVs that you see. It's like that, but a boat. Like it's huge. I mean, it's not. It's not like a boat. Are you it's going a, it's with a house on water. Anybody? Or just you two? Yeah, with uh, Georgie's parents and Georgie's sister and boyfriend. Right. Yeah. So there's going to be like six of us. Right, and they do. They have an RV. Don't well, they? no, they don't. But oh, they don't know. But okay. they do. They this is a, a vacation they do every year. So you basically go and spend a week on the lake, moving around in the different coves, and there's no cell phone reception. 
it's just so gonna you're going to be completely dark. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be terrifying for me because Digidoo is going to be without me <laughs> for, the, wow. for a week. Wow. So. Does Matt know about that? <laughs> yeah, he does. What does yeah. he say? Well, it's just, um, and Udi's um, uh, basically, there's, there's um, the Rosh Hashanah and the Jewish holiday right now. So um, he's not available. So Jeremy basically has the whole of Digidoo to support for the next does week. Does he know? Can yeah, he, do he does. Do yeah. have to do he anything? Does. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, sometimes you have guys who just they're sort of siloed into working on one segment of the product. and they, they don't he, really like, he doesn't know as much as as much as would be, you know, comfortable for the whole API and back end stuff. But if any big problems happen, he'll work it out. Thanks, He's a sir. smart guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, what's the latest on Digidoo? Um, I've been trying to think that we've been dealing with so many fires. Um just so many just weird random quirks you know like just weird stuff like there was one thing where so in in the app basically you know how we have this home screen and it yeah. has, the android tablet has an updater yeah you you've been backgrounding me this whole show i just want to let you know that I you you have like every time i start talking you're looking at your ipad i'm just looking at stuff. Any more but topics. if i do that you get mad at me you're always doing it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure if there were topics. Go on. All right. Where, where, where was I up to? Uh, I don't remember. Talk about background. Yeah. Okay. Right. So basically, we have this updater. I just want to give you one example okay. of just the kind of crap that we have to deal with. So there's this updater. So we push out an update. It auto updates, brings down the APK, and installs it. Right. Okay. So. For whatever reason, it was saying that the it, it just decided this it was working before, but for whatever reason, it said the file is corrupt when it downloaded that APK. The file is corrupt. So we're using file stream technology. So two days banging our head against this problem, trying all these different ways. Mm-hmm. What it was, was when, you know, you know, when you read a buffer, like you read the buffer, so you read the file stream and you open the input and you have like a file pointer. So you have like a stream that you're writing to. So a file pointer for the, like the right stream and then a stream that you're reading from. So a file pointer for that. If you didn't, close this the input stream at the end of the function for whatever reason it wrote the file in a corrupt way wow not closing the input stream which is like such a ra- i mean when was the last time you like literally closed the file point garbage collected and would happen automatically i mean you just you just don't do that right i mean I, I know you should but most of the time it's like okay i'm finished i'm finished dealing with the with this, the buffer this is very technical by the way apologies about that i'm finishing finished dealing with the buffer i've got all the information i'm going to write it to disk no problem but especially the input, like it's the input one that you had to close. Right. So it was just like completely random, bizarre. And there's so many weird different things like that that we're experiencing. Um, but it's good because each each one of them is just a new notch of defensibility right. <laughs> in, in the business because like anyone else would have to go through this stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's... Uh it's not like you guys have done a lot of that. I mean, it's like things are working pretty well though now, right? It's getting it's getting tight, yeah. Is the stability it's getting, it, there? It, well, it's it's getting there. And I mean, no, it's not there yet. It's it's not as good as it should be. Um I mean, kids can go in, they can have lessons and stuff works, but also stuff will break. So it's it it needs to get better. How many schools do you in now? We're currently going to about 1500 kids. You don't know how many schools it is? Uh 35, but they the, the classrooms are like you know, multiple kids use classrooms. I see. So it's kind of hard. Yeah. To, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we're, we're in 35 right now, but we're going to be in 50 very soon. Yeah. Wow. It's a massive production line, just getting the stuff into schools in the first place. Cause you know, the tablets. every tab, you know, every, every cart, this cart with tablets and chargers. And then, 
you know, they all have to be labeled and then they all have to be inventoried and then sent out to the school and make sure that it works. How often do these tablets break? Well, we ordered, we started with uh, 1,700 tablets that we ordered. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, we have a box full of broken tablets, like that. Just we under warranty, we need to send back. Like I mean, like fifty, fifty out of seventeen hundred just don't work. Huh. Wow. So, okay. Well, that's that's a that's a I guess that's a decent fill rate. So yeah. Um. Now, the schools do they just send them back to you, and then you send them back, or what? well, we haven't had one broken from the school yet. Oh, well, that's yeah. convenient. Yeah. I mean, because that'll well, suck if you have a bunch of... Bro- th- that will happen, though, yeah. Do you have extra tablets there for them? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that part. Probably want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all of a sudden, you got like 30 kids, 30 tablets, and like one or two break, and mm-hmm. it's like, what are they supposed to do? Yeah. That'll really screw things up. Anyway, that's Digidoo. Um I don't have to, I don't have too oh, much. Oh, you to said you were hiring somebody. You're trying to hire a front end. Oh yeah, there, that's that is a good point. I do have a uh, there is a new hire coming in, Alex, um, Alex King, and uh, he's not through the show. I worked with him previously in Company Fifty Two, so he'll be working with us. That's very good. And uh, I'm still looking for a JavaScript, a hardcore JavaScript developer, someone who really understands something like Backbone or one of those, mm-hmm. you know, that that type of single page, like someone like us, really. Right. I would love someone who could specialize in that. Right. Um, Wait, so where'd you find this new guy? He's someone I'd already worked with, Company 52. Oh, right, right, right. Company yeah. 52. Okay. Yeah. And he was just a cons- he was just consulting or freelancing and that's why he was available? No, he was working for another company, but uh, I, I contacted him and asked him and he was... He's down, huh? Yeah, he's down, yeah. Good. Yeah, so that's good. So, so now you have, there's four of you. Well, three and a half because Udi's... You know, Part-time. yeah, exactly. He does four hours a day, ish. Because also, that it's the it's the time zone that's the issue. Well, cool. Well, I think we should wrap this up. I gotta, <laughs> gotta get on with my life. Well, so I, you're leaving tomorrow morning at four a.m. Yeah. So if we're gonna get this thing out, it means I gotta go. You gotta render this thing, edit it, and then I have to go and do all the notes. Yeah. All right. Well, have fun on your trip. Thanks very much. We'll do. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. Peace.